Good morning. Welcome to Zion Lutheran on the second Sunday after Epiphany. Uh, before we begin our worship, just a couple of things to share with you. First, as a reminder, that our annual congregational meeting will follow the service this morning. So, members, we do need you to stay so that we can proceed with our annual church business and, and make sure that it all gets passed and we can get set up for the next year. Also, just a general reminder that Bible study will continue on Wednesday. So we will brave the cold this week and continue to look at First Thessalonians. So you are invited and make sure that you know. Always welcome to study the Bible with us. Uh, are there any other announcements or prayer requests that you have this morning? Yeah. Her mom yeah. broke her foot in three places. Yeah. So she's in a cast. And then uh, neighbor Brian Overholt had found out he's got cancer here on the, on the side. So. Okay. Do you have Brian? Brian. Okay. Yeah. We continue to pray for Judy and her recovery as well. Yeah. Your mother died. And I think the services are on Friday. Yeah. Okay. So at 10. Okay. 10 to 12. Okay. So Friday, 10 to 12 services. Yeah. All right. Is there no other requests, I'll invite you to take a moment to prepare your hearts and minds for worship as we listen to the prelude. and I invite you to stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And now let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you, God, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you. 
Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his Son to die for us, and for his sake forgives us all our sins. As a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, 
and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Amen. Glory to God in the highest and peace to God's people on earth. God, you showed your glory and led many to faith by the works of your Son. As he brought gladness and healing to his people, grant us these same gifts, and lead us also to perfect faith in him, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading from 1 Samuel. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. And at the time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. 
Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears it tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, Here I am. Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also, if you hide something, anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him and, not, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We'll read responsively Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me out, O Lord, you have known me. You trace my journeys and my resting places and are acquainted with all my ways. You encompass me behind and before and lay your hand upon me. For you yourself created my innermost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will thank you because I am marvelously made. Your works are wonderful, and I know it well. My body was not hidden from you while I was being made in secret and woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my limbs, yet unfinished in the womb. All of them were written in your book. My days were fashioned before they came to be. How deep I find your thoughts, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I were to count them, they would be more in number than the sand. To count them all, my life's end would be to be like yours. A reading from 1 Corinthians. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. 
The body is meant not for fortification, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, the two shall be one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun fornification. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. The word of the Lord. Gospel according to St. John. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said to him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, O Christ. I invite you to be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, over the next few weeks of the season of Epiphany, we turn our attention to St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And so the Apostle was writing to the Corinthians in this letter in an attempt to put out all kinds of fires in the church. All kinds of false belief had arisen. There were significant scandal In the church, there were divisions, there were controversies, and it was all messy. And so Paul is dealing with a pernicious belief in the section that we get today in our second reading. It was a question about what it means to be called by the gospel. You see that theme throughout our readings. We had the call of the prophet Samuel. We had the call of Jesus to Philip to follow me. And in Corinth... This call had become confused because some in the church had come to believe that their call to the freedom of the gospel, 
meant that they were free to do whatever they wanted with their bodies. In particular, we find out that they had come to believe that they had the sexual liberty to have a relationship with whomever they wanted in a manner that their culture found acceptable. And so this false belief took root in abusing the gospel call. So some in Corinth had heard Paul's preaching. They heard Paul say that Christ had taken their sin, that Christ had freed them from the law. And so they thought they had the liberty to do what they wanted with their bodies. What does it matter, they wondered. I know I am covered by God's grace. I know God made me a new creation. Therefore, I can pursue whatever desires, whatever pleasures that I would like, even if they are sinful. What they forgot is that all of us still have indwelling sin of the flesh. We still have original sin. The old Adam that makes us an enemy of God clings to the Christian. And the freedom of the gospel is the freedom to love our neighbor as ourselves. It is not the freedom to indulge that indwelling sin. And so with this attitude, Paul implies that he has heard that there are members of the church who are having relations with prostitutes. Now we hear that and we're shocked because we know Christians ought not to sleep with prostitutes. That's obvious. And in our society, prostitution is illegal in most places. It is very much taboo. It is a shady pursuit. And it's also widely caught up in the evils of human trafficking, of drug abuse, and so on. But this wasn't really the attitude of the ancient Greek society. In ancient Greek society, prostitution was a relatively normal and accepted behavior. In fact, the mainstream biblical scholar Richard Hayes from Duke Divinity School writes, the Corinthian men who frequented prostitutes were not asserting some unheard of new freedom. They were merely insisting on their right to continue participating in a pleasurable activity that was entirely normal in their own culture. And so in 1 Corinthians 6, it's not just that the apostle is pointing out prostitution as the problematic sin. He's broadly identifying their sin as fornication. And that's evident, of course, in verse 18, where he writes, shun fornication. Literally in the Greek, flee fornication, run from it. And so I know fornication is one of those church words that we never actually use in the real world. So it might be helpful to say just exactly what fornication means. So fornication is the Greek word pornia, and it's broadly translated as sexual misconduct. More to the point, this word is meant to cover all sexual intimacy except between a husband and a wife. Paul uses the sin of engaging with prostitutes as an example of sexual activity that would have been seen as relatively harmless. It was a culturally acceptable practice. Lots of people did it. They were free to do so in their culture. In fact, engaging with a prostitute was more acceptable in that culture than sleeping with an unmarried woman who was yet to be betrothed in marriage. And so it doesn't exactly translate to our culture and our society. So when you hear that word fornication here and elsewhere in St. Paul, you ought to think of sexual activity outside of marriage of a man and a woman. Having sex with someone you are not married to is fornication. It is a sin, and it is a sin that Paul tells us to flee. The apostle here will helpfully explain 
why this particular sin is problematic in the church. And he's making a claim that's radically countercultural to modern American sensibilities. Paul says that when you were baptized and the Holy Spirit was given to you, your body was no longer your own. He writes, do you know that your bodies are members of Christ? In other words, you are connected and united to Christ. And if you are united to him, your body is his. The body is meant for the Lord, he writes in verse 13. And so Paul argues that when you have sex with someone in a manner in which the Lord has not blessed, that you're defiling yourself. You're defiling your partner, and you are even defiling the body of Christ. And so we are reminded from Genesis 2 that the act of sex makes the man and the woman one flesh. God designed this to be an act of his blessing, a blessing in which a man and a woman make a promise to give their bodies and their lives to one another until death parts them. Sex is meant to be the act of intimacy for the man and the woman who intend to become one in order to be a family within God's blessing. And for that reason, it's a powerful desire. It's a driver of our hearts, our emotions, our bodies. God has made sex to be good. It's meant to be a powerful connector of man and woman. And because of its goodness, it also becomes the area in which we are most at risk when we put it outside of God's blessing. So therefore, what Paul is getting at is that we are not free to use our bodies to indulge in sinful passions. Instead, we are to use our bodies as the Lord has intended. Otherwise, as Paul notes, we're pursuing something that not only puts ourselves in serious danger, but also our partner and the whole church. But I don't want to get too far from the text we have this morning, because Paul is not addressing a wider culture. He's not fighting a culture war. Right, we know that our culture and that American society is confused and terribly mixed up about what God has created sex and marriage to be. But Paul's not addressing the pagan culture in this chapter. Rather, he's addressing Christians, and especially Christians who believe that because God is forgiving and God is gracious, that they have the liberty to engage in sinful behavior. And he is warning them of the great danger they are putting themselves in. The life of the faith, the life of the baptized, according to St. Paul, is not a life of celebrating sin. Instead, it's the life of daily receiving God's mercies and thereby daily killing our sinful desires. In the small catechism, Luther describes the life of the baptized Christian like this. Baptism indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. And this was the problem with the Corinthians. They did not see their gospel freedom as the opportunity to daily emerge as a new creation, the new creation that God desired them to be. But they saw the gospel freedom as their opportunity to indulge sinful passions, and specifically to have sex in a manner that they found suitable. They used their freedom to indulge their sin 
not to fight it. And the Corinthians even had the same kind of cover we might expect to hear today. Everyone in our culture does it. This is just the way the world is now. Why would God want me to give up something that brings me pleasure and makes me happy? And so we want to listen to St. Paul's warning. Right? And we can listen even to Martin Luther's warning, who on this passage wrote, It is our duty to teach men to purge out the old leaven. We must tell them that they are not Christians, but devoid of the faith, when they yield to the wantonness of the flesh and persevere in sin against the warning of the conscience. We should teach that such sins are so much more vicious when they're practiced under the name of the gospel, for that is blaspheming the name of Christ and of the gospel. And so I, I want to conclude this with great reverence and understanding it's not an always, an always easy thing to hear. But if you're a Christian who is engaging in sexual sin, if you have a sexual relationship with someone outside of marriage, it's time to flee from it, as St. Paul says. Don't use your liberty in Christ to excuse sinful desires. If you're indulging, you're indwelling sin proudly. If you're proud of your lust, if it's something that you're finding comfort in, then the word tells us it's time to flee. And just because the culture overlooks it, and just because we don't live in an age that names sin for what it is, does not mean that we are free as Christians to indulge in it. Flee from sin, as St. Paul warns. But more important than fleeing from sin is fleeing to Christ. If your conscience is burdened, if there's part of you that knows you come under the condemnation of Scripture, I want you to listen to me carefully. Because by the authority of Jesus Christ, and in his stead, and for his sake, your sins are forgiven. You are a new creation. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are now one who lives to the glory of God. Put your faith in him who has taken your sin from you. Amen.
together. Let us stand and confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray for the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. O Lord, put a new song in our mouths. Lead us out of all deceit and into the confidence of your truth. Let us proclaim your wondrous deeds of faithfulness and salvation in Christ without fear. Lord, in your mercy. King of Israel, as you once called Samuel, Philip, and Nathaniel into your service, be pleased now to call faithful Christians into your holy ministry. Give them a delight in your scriptures that their witness would lead many to Jesus, the Son of God. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. O Lord, you call fathers, mothers, and children to serve in households. Let them serve eagerly, each according to their station, trusting that their love and their families honor you. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Almighty God, let all the nations and the peoples of the earth ascribe to you the glory due your name. Hear our prayers for all rulers and leaders, especially for Joseph, our president, and Richard Michael, our governor, together with all legislators and judges. Direct them by your word and establish in them saving faith. Lead them in their offices to govern wisely for the good of their people. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our O oh God, behold in mercy all for whom we pray this morning, especially Judy, Ardith, Tammy, Steve, Charlie, Jane, Don, Linda, Steve, Nancy, Betty, Wayne, Doit, Jim, Max, Marilyn, Gary, Tony, Carolyn, Amanda, Carol, Jan, Brian, and all of those who now grieve in the Hawk family. Bring them healing, comfort, strength, and patience and certainty in all need. And receive our thanks for your constant watch and your merciful kindness. And every sorrow and every joy, do not let our eyes be drawn from the marvel of your mercy in Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy. Holy Lord, mighty in God, you have shown us the face of your mercy in your Son, through whom all nations may find life. Hear the prayers of your people and grant what is needful to us and those for whom we pray, that trusting in your mercy, our hearts might find perfect peace and rest. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts. With them, we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made. For the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen.
in peace. Serve the Lord.